Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, it's mailbag day, but first we have a couple of big pieces of Sabres news to talk about. Before we get into that, first, Dylan Cousins signing a seven-year, $7.1 million extension with the Sabres. As we talked about last episode, our pal Chad D. Dominicus of Expected Buffalo had the initial reports that talks were intensifying between the Sabres and Cousins and had mentioned that the projected contract seemingly was going to come in at or just below Tage Thompson's cap hit of $7.125 million. And shout out to Chad, because he was right on the money there. So again, seven years, $7.1 million for Dylan Cousins. The Sabres now have their top two centers locked up for seven years at just over $14 million. Taylor, your thoughts on this deal? Good deal. Yeah, they're paying, in my opinion, they're paying for what they think he's going to do. And if he continues to get better the way he's gotten better every year he's been in the NHL, it seems like it's going to be a bargain. Not a bargain necessarily, but like a good deal. It already seems like a pretty good deal. So, you know, going forward, I think you want Dylan Cousins as your 2C and having your 2C locked up for just about $7 million a year. That's that's solid, and it's only going to look better, especially if it's a good 2C like Dylan Cousins is rounding into form to being. That's not even mentioning the fact that they seem to have their future, not future, their long-term 1C locked up uh, for just over $7 million. So just a little, well, also just over 7 so a little bit more than Cousins. So combined, they are under $15 million actually, which under the new cap, which a lot of people seem to think in the next couple of years is going to go up about $10 million, largely thanks to the TV deals, that that's, that's going to look great having both those guys locked up for a little bit under $15 million and it's going to help you pay Darlene power, all those other guys, what they're worth going to help offset the fact that Skinner is not on a particularly great contract, help you pay talk eventually all those things. So I think we talked about recently the, the great teams of the recent uh, just right after the sailor cap became a thing with the Blackhawks, Penguins, Bruins, teams like that. And all of those teams got good players or sorry, great players on great contracts. That was part of it. It's not like you're going to have someone who's uh, getting hard trophy votes go for like 1 million a year. But what you can do is have them sign for like maybe a million below market value. They're still making money. They're still doing very well. But what they do is they let you, they 
they kind of set the tone for the team. And then everyone might take a little bit less in order to win, get one other guy signed, you know, or two. It, it makes a little bit of a difference when you, if you're competing for a cup or losing in the conference final, like one or two guys can make that level of difference. So I think it's, it's good to see that, you know, Tage didn't do, I mean, Tage's whole thing was different. I think there was a, a little bit of a, how good is this guy actually kind of thing. And I think the Sabres wisely wanted to lock that down soon. And, and like we also said, hockey players love long contracts. They love contract security. So that's, I think, part of why Cousins signed as well. But it's it's a very exciting thing. And, and Cousins has developed every year. So thank you. As I always say, thank you, Jason Bottrell, and for making a, a good pick. It, honestly, that sounds like I'm being sarcastic. First of all, not really. It is a good pick. Second, I know it's a top 10 pick. But look at how bad the Sabres were between 7 and 16 for years. Yeah. And that really absolutely. coincides with not just the drought, but the playoff series win drought. Because it extends beyond the drought. Right. It's like, look at how bad Zach Cassian is. Look well, and Armia. I think, yeah, like absolutely. all these bums. Gergen, Gergensen's is actually fine-ish, but he's not really a first-round pick. Grigorenko, bum. Nylander, bum. Ristolainen, bum. Zadorov, mediocre. Casey Middlestat, eh. We'll get to him later. Yeah. Like all, all these guys that are just not good. And then finally, someone, Cousins, is good. A guy that you who uh, you drafted in the top 10, not first or second overall, who is actually pretty good. So very glad to see that this has worked out. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point too because they didn't overthink it when it came to Cousins. There was a ton of chatter leading up to that draft that he could have potentially went to Chicago at number three instead of Kirby Doc. And I mean, there were mocks that had him in the four or five slot as well. And so when it came down to it, of course, you had the choice. Really, it seemed like at the time it was going to be either Cousins or Zegris. And they clearly made the right choice there. But with Middlestad, that's a perfect example of them galaxy braining it and overthinking it. As we had talked about a few weeks ago, there was the report that had come out that the entire scouting staff had wanted Botterill to take Nikas, and then Botterill ends up going with Middlestead at the last minute, which, sure, at the time may have seemed like an exciting pick because of all of the buzz that was coming around him. But at the end of the day, when you look at a lot of the, the scoring comparables, Nikas really seemed like that should have been the pick. And clearly, as we know now, as both of their development tracks have played out, he would have been the the safe bet to go with there. I mean, God, yeah. imagine having him on this team as well. But I think there's a few other things to to acknowledge as well here. You had mentioned how Cousins' development track, he's just gotten better with each year. And that has really just taken off this year. Is is very much the case when you look at really where he was at last year. There were the signs that he was starting to put it together, but there was still a lot of room for growth and a lot left to be desired there. And so you come into this year, we see that he's gotten so much more of a grip on his playmaking ability. He's great when it comes to zone entries. I think he's maybe one of, if not the best on the team when it comes to controlled zone entries into the offensive zone, his playmaking ability again has really, really developed and with his style of play with how fast he is, he's really been able to fully utilize his physicality and his strength to make himself an even better playmaker. And then the, the finishing touch on all of it is his finishing ability and his shooting ability, which is something that you and I both all throughout last year. And especially in the off season coming into this, this year said was maybe the thing that we really wanted to see him improve on. And he's been shooting more and the results have been there. And so it's been great to see the other side of that too, is that people will point to a similar talking point with Tage is that you're giving out $7 million, seven years to a guy that has not played a whole lot of games in the NHL. But 
that gives me no pause. Again, this is just a trend that's happening right now too across the league. In addition to your point, very correctly pointing out about team building and getting these guys on contracts, you know, early and locking up your core there. Look across the league. The, the same guys come to mind that when we had talked about the Tage extension, where you talk about your Robert Thomases of the world, Tim Stutzel, Josh Norris, all of these guys are getting these seven, eight year deals without really having a ton of mileage under their belt. And so it's a smart move by the Sabres to really bank on a guy that has really started to come into his own this year. And now, again, as we had said before at the top of the episode, you're looking at $14 million being invested in your top two centers, which as the cap continues to grow, it's just going to really come out to being a really, really nice pair of deals there. And I would say probably rivals New Jersey as the best one-two punch down the middle when it comes to the amount of contract money that you have allotted to those two players there. Obviously in New Jersey talking about the Heischer and Hughes deals as well. So overall, extremely, extremely happy with this deal. I'm glad they got him locked up now because one last point that I will say, as you have pointed out, last episode if cousins ended up staying put and not signing this deal until the end of the season or really what he would be valued at on on the market we could have been looking at maybe eight or nine million dollars there that he would have ended up being worth so this is huge for the sabers it allows them to shave a couple million dollars off of the cap year over year and again making these moves now and and getting these guys locked down for less than what you hopefully, you know, are are anticipating they'll end up being worth as they continue to get better and better really when they turn, you know, 23, 24, 25, that's going to give you a few extra million dollars there to be able to to go out and make a couple of big swings. That's that's a huge thing that we're talking about. Obviously Timo Meyer has been the hot name that we've been saying, but signing Cousins and Tage to a combined 14 million as compared to if you waited until the end of this year to do both of those deals, you're probably talking about 20 million dollars that you could potentially potentially have invested in those two guys. So getting it done now, you're saving maybe like five or 6 million ultimately. I mean, would anybody question at the end of this year, if Tage wasn't already signed that if he continues at this pace, him getting $10 million, you know, and then the, yeah, I think my guess would be, it would be probably like 18 between the two. Eighteen, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 20 was rounding up, but either way, you're still saving, let's call it $4 million that can eventually then go to you you know, making a a big splash there outside of the other extensions that need to happen in the near future. And we'll get to that when we get to our mailbag. But there's another bit of news that we want to also get to. Jesse Pagula had put together a really great piece for the Players' Tribune, giving an update on Kim Pagula and really giving us all an inside look into the severity of the situation, where she's at right now with her recovery process really detailing also what had initially happened and some some details coming out of that that we previously hadn't known. Ultimately, though, the, the main takeaways from this are that Kim is progressing in her recovery. However, she's having issues, I believe she had said, with her memory, and then also just continuing on with other rehabilitation coming out of such a, a scary incident there. So Taylor, do you want to talk about that a little bit more and give some more yeah, details? Because one of the other things is she said she's suffering from expressive aphasia, mm-hmm. which is a, a brain issue that it tends in most cases to be caused by strokes. And basically that makes it hard to communicate, even if you are functioning cognitively as you not cognitively overall, obviously, but like if you're thinking straight, you you're thinking like a thing that you want to say, you just have trouble saying it. You have trouble communicating, um, which is obviously a very serious thing. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, it's the fact that it's been eight months now uh, since the initial incident, I, it, 
the whole thing um it it kind of made me think that she's done permanently being like the president of the bills and sabers that's not something that she really functionally do anymore that's obviously some that's something that people speculated about because it had been so long since we had any kind of update but there's a specific paragraph in there where jesse pagula even says she talks about the woman her mom was and then says that she'll never be able to be that person again uh so that's that's something and it's also uh kind of shed some details on what not exactly what happened but some of the details on what what did happen that night that she got rushed to the hospital that the their other daughter kelly pagula did cpr on her that uh Saved her life. Says, saved her life, which, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, that's becoming a thing that uh, it's a good lesson to I get guess, a CPR, CPR class. I've I've been looking yeah. into it more and more. Actually, where did I just see somewhere? I believe it is it Buffalo Ironworks potentially. Somebody's doing uh, like a you could reserve a spot for a CPR class that they're bringing in somebody and they're having it like an open event for people. That could be really good. But I, I think between that and the Demar Hamlin incident, it goes to show that having that skill is something that can be the difference between life or death for people. And it was pretty scary hearing all of that, you know, and and reading through all of that, obviously, you know, the main takeaway is that you can hope that as time goes on, that these things that she's struggling with are going to continue to get better and better. And that she'll be back to having at least, you know, as, as close as we can get to somewhat of a normal quality of life. So very, very scary stuff there, but glad to at least get the update on that. Glad that, you know, she's still hanging in there and, and is fighting through this. And hopefully, you know, by the next time, by the time we get another update, it'll be of uh, of her doing even better than we had heard now. Yeah, definitely. Taylor, do we want to get into some mailbag? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Well, we had another really great response for all of you who sent in questions, thank you so much. We very, very much appreciate it. We're going to go through all of our questions that we received, both on Twitter and Instagram here. And we had a really nice mix, a lot of stuff talking about this current season, talking about the trade deadline coming up, and then also looking ahead to next year and beyond, and even getting some outside-of-the-box questions. So we'll start off with one, the very first response that we had received, actually, from a, a pal of ours, Hucklebuckets, sent us a tweet saying, which isn't even necessarily a, a question, so to speak. It's more an idea. He goes, League should be brave and get rid of the All-Star game altogether. Seems like it's a relic of pre-mass media era when it was your only chance to see players from across the league. Here's my counteroffer. Bring back the Sabres Carnival. I love the second part of it. Yeah. Not <laughs> a question. Maybe this is why uh, your restaurant closed, pal. Oof. Um, Oof. So, yeah, I kind of think the the cool thing for, like, People that are like, I don't know, age 15 and up for the All-Star game back in the day was being like, you can't see, uh, you don't see Patrick Marlowe or someone like that player, like Shane Doan, or I'm thinking of someone who's actually exciting to watch. I was going to say, um, you picked Timu, two. Timo Solani. I was just looking at thinking of That's the West better. Coast. <laughs> yeah, guys you just don't see. And then especially if you're like Timu and your team is really not that good until he was like almost 40. Um <laughs> You just you don't see them in the playoffs either. So it's right. just like, what am I going to see these guys? They play at 10 p.m. They're never on national TV or they don't play the Sabres that much. I get that. That was a cool thing. And now that's gone because you can just watch all these guys, especially even just highlights if you don't have ESPN+. Plus. But I think the All-Star game basically, like most All-Star games, serve the purpose of it's for the people that are actually in attendance and it's for kids. It's to get kids involved and stuff. And the third right. thing, the real reason it exists, is for corporate sponsors. So – I think with like the skills competition, it's like 
I never watch it, but you know who watches it? Some kids, especially right. the ones that are there. So I, I think it's almost like the Winter Classic isn't all that great of a TV event, and it's not even a real novelty anymore. It's 100% for the people that are there, or at least 90% for the people who are there and sponsors and whatnot. So yeah, I just don't think the All-Star Games ever, even though we had our ideas to fix it last week, fix it, make it better, whatever. I don't think it's ever going to be all that great. It also, I I don't know. There's not a, there's just not a lot of All-Star Game in, in all of sports that are all that interesting. I mean, no one watches the Pro Bowl. I don't even know what the, I, I couldn't follow all weekend last weekend what the Pro Bowl was up to. They're like golfing. They're all doing all kinds of goofy stuff. I, they don't I mean, even know if they have football a football. Now. I, I will say I football, like which them switching to that. I think that's better that's, than having it be like an actual game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the way they pretend to tackle each other. That's why I don't like five on five all-star game in hockey, which mm-hmm. I don't think they'll ever go back to. Um, but also the uh, I mean, the MLB all-star game, which is the one people kind of point to as the best all-star game because you can just play a baseball game without injury risk. It sucks now, actually, because every reliever has a, a 0.18 ERA or sorry, a 1.8 ERA and throws like 99 and just gets guys out. And then it's just the last few also games, an endless, endless parade of relievers, like bewildering the best hitters in the world. So I can't say I like that. So actually I think there are no good all-star games. The NBA is doing an interesting thing with the play up to score, but yeah, yeah it, there's a hard cap on how good they can be anyway. I feel that for sure. All right, well, let's move on to our next one here. Tim Drake asked, which forward besides the top line in Cousins do you see having the best end of the year? So I'll tackle this one first because I have my predictable answer, but then I have my dark horse answer. My predictable one, I think, is Jack Quinn. I think, you know, as has been the case throughout his career, we we have seen that he takes time to continue to acclimate and adjust to the league that he's playing in here. This is his first full season of NHL action here. And, you know, there's been ups and downs for sure. He's had really hot streaks where he's looked really good and has looked like a great NHL player. And there's been other times where he's maybe looked a little bit lost in his own zone, a little bit irresponsible with the puck on his stick. Overall, though, you've been seeing more of the former than the latter here. Like, I I feel as though he's gotten better and better as the year's gone on. I do think that even though the forward rotation is kind of stupid, that there has been some benefit though, to giving him a night off or two here and there for him to be able to just see the game from a different perspective. And also just for the fact of getting more used to the rigorous travel schedule that comes with being an NHL player. But I want to think though, that cousins is going to continue having a really strong rest of the year here. And I like the two of them being paired up with each other. I think that, We've seen more and more confidence from him in the offensive zone, and that's really what his bread and butter is. I don't need him to be necessarily the best defensive player, but if I'm seeing more creativity, more confidence, more finishing in the offensive zone, more shots on net, then that's great. And I think that we're going to see more of that as the year goes on. My dark horse answer for a, a bit of a different reason is actually Peyton Krebs. I think that Krebs has really, really come into his own in this kind of two-way center role that he's been playing in here. I'd like to see him get more time on the third line, admittedly, even though he has been playing really good between Opozo and Gergensen's and is really rounding out his defensive game in a way that I don't think any of us really anticipated being a thing coming into this year. But as I talked about recently, I, I think that the the prospect of him being this team's long-term third line center is really really interesting because of what he can give you now it it, it makes a lot of sense having a guy like that where he has that defensive prowess but what he gives you also in addition to a strong two-way game is really really strong skating with some solid breakaway speed and 
really great playmaking ability where he's able to make just very quick, precise, clean passes in the offensive zone is able to find lanes that a lot of guys on the team really can't when it comes to getting through some of those obstructive passing lanes there. So I'm a big fan of Krebs and how his game has really evolved this year rather than even grown. I think it's both grown and evolved like in, in different ways really, but it's been exciting to see that. And I would like to see him get more time on the third line, even though he's been getting decent minutes as it is, I want to see him getting the opportunity with a little bit more skilled guys. I'd love to see him play with Olafson, for example, with Krebs's playmaking ability mixed with Olafson's finishing ability and the way that he's been able to do that throughout this year. So I think we're going to see more of that. And I think that Krebs is going to firmly position himself as the team's third line center heading into the next year due to a strong end of the season here. So who do you got? Well, first of all, Taylor, what are your thoughts on both of those guys? And then who do you have for yours? I pretty much agree with everything you said, but I, I think the obvious answer is Quinn. Like just cause he's like you said, he's gotten consistently better. He's been probably the team's fifth best forward. He's, he scored a lot more to be, well, I guess he's kind of been better of late scoring wise, but I think an interesting one is Paterka. For sure. He hasn't, because there's so many young guys and so many guys having good years, he hasn't gotten as much attention as you might have thought. Uh, I wonder, like, does he hit a wall? If he doesn't hit a wall, like, is he, he is he going to be solid in his own zone? Is he going to be kind of reliable? He doesn't have he, – he can be the third best player on that line. Like, he doesn't have to be any better than that. But, like, are you going to see more production out of him? That could be big down the stretch. They might need that going into their pretty – pretty tough March schedule they have coming up. So I think Paterka is also an interesting one. Definitely. I think ultimately too, with Paterka, this is going to be big for him because he's going to get a lot of more of these top six opportunities, but going into next year, I think ideally you want him probably on your third line because you're going to want to make an upgrade to the top six there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think any, someone, if he develops the way it seems like he is that he could be a guy that you'd be delighted to have on your third line. Absolutely. Just having the flexibility to to have guys who can move around in the middle six forward lines is, is huge. So let's move on to our next one here now. Thanks, Tim, for sending that one in. Lauren had responded and had and had asked, explain like I'm five why Matt Savoy is playing in the W or why Matt Savoy playing in the WHL prohibits him from playing in Rochester. Is that a permanent contract thing? Like if he's rostered on the Sabres, do they, or can they do a paper transfer to send him to Rochester? I only just heard about it the other day and need more info. Thanks in advance. So it's a really good question. It's really not the greatest rule to be honest, but essentially what it comes down to Lauren is that for an NHL draft prospect to leave the CHL, which of course is encompassed by the QMJHL, the OHL and the WHL to play in minor league hockey in the AHL, they must be 20 years old or have played four seasons in juniors. The caveat to that though, is that junior players can still leave their junior team beginning at age 18 to play in the NHL. But again, the agreement only prevents those players from leaving that and playing in the AHL. And then in addition to that, of course, there's also the rule where players are allowed to play up to nine games in the NHL. And then after that point, the NHL team is then able to return the player to juniors without any kind of an effect on their contract. I think that pretty much clears that up relatively uh, easily. Your thoughts, Taylor, anything else to add? Yeah, it's the, the basic way to think about it is like junior players, in the CHL are under contract till they're 20. So you can only break the contract by going to the NHL. It would be a breach of contract to go to the AHL, which was the case for um, Mikhail Grigorenko. We might remember, remember him, Brandon? Uh, nope. 
Never heard of him. I do you have, have his jersey? I, I don't have his jersey. No, I definitely do not have it in my dad's closet. I don't. Interesting. Yeah. Very specific. So he that he's a perfect example of a guy that's like, uh oh, like what do we do? He went to Buffalo when he was eighteen. Turned out to not be a good idea. He's a perfect guy to go to the AHL. He was he scored. Yeah, I don't say he was too good for juniors, but he some people thought he was too good to play in juniors, including himself. Um, but he really wasn't good enough to play in Buffalo, and it was kind of a waste to have him here. And then they they burned years in his ELC. They really could have just had him, could and should have had him in junior for those two years, where he would have dominated. Maybe in some ways he would have rounded out his game a little bit more. Who knows? Probably not. Didn't have a great attitude. So yeah, I think either but way. But yeah, that's it's just an annoying thing. Reinhardt's another example, though, right? When Reinhardt. Well, sure. Reinhardt, they gave him the nine. You can, you can, when someone's a junior, you can do nine games in the NHL without burning their ELC. Uh, Reinhardt, you might remember in 2014, 15, did his nine games, didn't seem ready. They couldn't send him to Rochester. He had to go back to wherever he was in, in juniors. I don't remember. WHL, right? Didn't he come from? I think so, yeah. But yeah, so that's, wow. it's not my favorite rule, but it, I get why it exists. The junior leagues want their best players to play there a little bit longer helps with ticket sales. It's like, look at this guy. He just got drafted 10th overall. He's playing for us here in Kitchener or Erie, Pennsylvania or whatever. Also Sam Reinhardt played for the Kootenai ice or Kootenai Kootenai. Yes. Or Owen sound. Well, I think we can agree or... both of us, Taylor, that it's a rule that should be changed. NHL team should be able to ha- like make that move at their discretion. If they want to play a guy in the AHL, because as is the case with a guy like Savoy, I would like to see him be able to play in the AHL. It was the case, as you had mentioned with, of course, Gregorenko and Reinhardt too, but it feels like I would rather have the NHL teams be able to make that call than having this rule in place because yeah, but I, 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 I want to, I like it work out for me, but I don't see why it would ever change. Like what's their incentive to change. Well, it? no, of course not. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm just saying from the perspective of a professional hockey fan. Yes. I don't, I don't live my in Canada team's sake, or Erie, Pennsylvania. Thank God. Oof. Sorry, Zach Carr, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I don't really care what happens in the juniors, but yeah, it's, it's annoying, but it'll never change, in my opinion. Junior teams want those guys on on their teams if they're not going to be in the NHL. Right, right. Taylor, how about we hear a word from our sponsors? Sure. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern to see what prop bet will be boosted. So this is this is where I'm going to do my pick, my official pick for the game. I don't want it. You don't want it? You don't want anyone to win? No, I don't. <laughs> I want All right, Philly folks. to win, I guess. I do want Philly. Granted that I, you know, I say here, uh, don't listen to me, that I'm always wrong. Kansas City, my pick. Ugh. Fingers crossed. Oh, trying to do a cousin oh, Brandon, reverse. A reverse. This, is, this is a classic reverse jinx. Ah, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, so in terms of uh, interesting matchups and all that, like I said, Miles Sanders on the Monday show. I don't really know. Travis Kelsey catches a touchdown like every goddamn playoff game. <laughs> so do with that information what you will. Also, uh, 
you know, I I kind of see Mahomes being moving a little slower with his ankle. Philadelphia, great D-line. Mm -hmm. Maybe we see a little, uh, little bit, maybe more sacks, maybe the over on sacks. Who knows? I don't know what the over-under is on that. But, you know, keep all that in mind. Or don't. <laughs> Whatever. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can bet just $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. Fellas, ladies, dogs, cats, everyone else who's listening, this time of year, Everyone's talking about making big changes. Everyone's always talking about making big changes. That's great. But, you know, a lot of the time it's pretty unrealistic. You should look to make small changes because small changes can end up being big changes. I found that the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. Wow. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make a big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be part of a big change if it's something you use every day, like my Raycons. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. So Raycons are the perfect headphones uh, for walking around. It's cold out, I know, but you know what? The last couple of days are a little bit warmer up here in the greater western New York area, so not bad walking weather. Get out there, light jacket. It's like 40 degrees. Listen to podcasts. Listen to our podcast if you want, but you'd also listen to other podcasts or music uh different things like that so hey maybe that's still too cold for you you're inside at the gym or something like that or you're uh you're doing the dishes at your house or cleaning you know because you're having people over for the the big game on sunday which i might be doing perfect perfect audio experience and guess what you can afford to buy all your friends pizza for the big game because the big game, I'm calling it the Super Bowl. Go to hell. <laughs> um, because you didn't exactly. spend too much money on expensive headphones. So whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon's got you covered. If we have any listeners in Philadelphia, you might need that speaker. Maybe you're having a big party on Sunday. Sure, it starts as a Super Bowl party, but it ends in, uh, you know, a week-long kind of riot slash party if you guys win or lose. So, you know, before you get to it, let's, you know, look into getting a one of these uh, speakers here. And here's the thing. Raycon started half the price of other premium audio brands, so you don't have to choose between products. You can get one of each, a pair and a spare, and still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. So, you know, so you keep one for safekeeping uh, in your pocket. You put it uh, in the little bowl by the door. So you, you don't forget it before you leave, but you keep another one in like a, a nice drawer hidden away with you, like your spare keys. I don't have spare keys, so if I had, that's where I would put them. Anyway, even if you know you love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now, pay later options, and every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. For some reason, you don't like them. There's a lot of perverts out there. <laughs> And these, uh, these Raycons come with some tremendous features, such as three customizable sound profiles, earbud tap functions, noise isolation, awareness mode, custom gel tips for the perfect, most comfortable in-ear fit, crystal clear call quality, they're water and sweat resistant, and the everyday earbuds come with eight hours of playtime, the everyday speaker comes with 11. So, 
ready to buy something small with a big impact? Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Last, we have Thin Man Brewery. And boy, do they have a lot of stuff going on. Two convenient locations on Elmwood Avenue and Chandler Street. And you might have heard in our most recent episode, they're actually closing the Elmwood location for about two weeks to do a full renovation of the first floor and brew space. So that is going to look completely different by the end of February. You go there in March, it's going to be a whole new first floor. You won't even recognize it. The the grand reopening event, Friday night, March 3rd, Slow Animals is playing. Big reopening right. party. So, so come check it out. Mark your calendars. Come hang out with us and Yvonne. So when you're listening to that on March 3rd, uh, you might be enjoying a new release called Burn It to the Ground. It's a new beer. It's a pastry sour. It's got all kinds of flavors, including marshmallow, raspberry, graham crackers, all kind of interesting stuff like that. Uh, That'll be available when they reopen. So something to look forward to if that's your kind of beer. Um, Before they close, though, they will be having a couple events. Uh, One is Nickelback Karaoke on Friday. That's being co-hosted by our friend Yvonne and also Nate Geary of WGR. Might know him uh, if you're a Bills person. Or, you know, whatever. Everyone everyone knows WGR people in Buffalo. We don't have any other culture besides sports. Um, (laughs) So then after Friday, Sunday, they'll be having a Super Bowl party there. They're going to have their regular Bills game specials because, there's you know, it should be a Bills game. But, hey, there's always next year. Oof. In general, people will be cheering against the Chiefs, not necessarily for the Eagles. But, you know, feel free to cheer for the Eagles if you want. Uh, specifically, I've been told to root against Jackson Mahomes. So that'll Good. be going on Sunday. And then after that, they are closing Monday through the following two weeks. So, like I said, come back for Brendan's show the next week and you can have their uh, burn it to their ground. Their new beer. So. That's it, except for one other thing, which is we have an official name for the Straight Up Sabres beer. Now officially official. Brendan, do you want to tell them what it is? I do. And by officially official, we mean like it is trademarked and it's happening. It's going down. The can design's happening. Taylor and I are going to be getting ready to be helping out with the design process of what the beer is actually going to be tasting like as well. Yeah, Straight Up Sabres branded on that can and folks... We've been teasing it a little bit here and there for the past couple of weeks. The name, the official name of the Straight Up Sabres beer is American Lemieux. Boom. Yes. Now, who could we be referring to? I wonder. Our our sweet pterodactyl. That's right. The big fellow himself. Mm. So, yeah, it's really exciting. So we'll have more information on that later. But for now, let's get back to the questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. Very, very excited. So this next uh, question that we have is actually technically a pair of questions because let me see here. Invader Zinn at JHO92 asked, next big extension coming down the pipeline. Cousins question mark locking up Darlene beyond 2024. This was, of course, sent to us the day before the Cousins extension was announced. But we could. Oh, I have an answer, by the way. It's going to be Cousins. Good call. Well, we could ask, or we can't answer the follow-up to that, though, is which is the next one now that Cousins has done? And I think it's pretty unequivocally 1 million percent going to be Darlene as soon as he is eligible to at the end of the season. They are going to lock him up long-term. But there was a follow-up. 
since that question already got answered. They said, Welp, next cue. Is Chekrin this generation's Ole Jokinen of trade rumors? Pulling out a classic there. Taylor, your thoughts? Maybe. I think, first of all, it's already been almost a year of these rumors. Uh, there's no real reason that they should trade him. Not, not that compelling of a reason. And based on the rumors, I forgot if it came out via Elliot Friedman or someone else uh, a couple weeks ago that they might be looking for the equivalent of three firsts. And to me, they're totally unserious about trading him. Although I think he's a very good player. He's great for someone's second pairing, first pairing, if he's playing with a better guy, I guess, maybe. But to me, he seems like the guy who anchors your second pairing, like this guy, right? Uh, Except he's hurt a lot, too. So that kind of puts a little damper on his value. And he's never actually played for a good team. So that also is a little bit of a concern. You're asking for three firsts, like you're not serious about trading him because no one's paying that. I mean, if last year it came out that, Kevin Adams was saying the Sabres wanted four first for Eichel because he's obviously better than, or he was a better value than Chekrin. Who knows these days, folks, but I would be like, come on, Kevin Adams. You're not serious about actually moving him If you're asking for four first round picks. Right. So, well, yes, we my love- answer is, yeah, he might be, this might be like three years from now. We'll be going like, oh, they, are they going to trade Chekrin or are they going to, what are they going to do? Right. No, that's very fair. We love a good Sabres legend, Ole Okun in reference. So thank you for that question. <laughs> Next up. Wow, what a what a name. Flexon Mobile at Tanman3118 asks, what is your best guess at what the top two lines looks like two years from now? So that's a really interesting question. I think, as we've been saying, they are in need of making another big addition to the top six forward group. They're in a really good place right now with having, like we were saying before, a second line of Cousins, Quinn, and Paterka. I know the kid line was something that really caught on there. Everybody was saying that that was going to be, you know, maybe our long-term second line. However, I think for this team to be a legitimate cup contender, Paterka, as great as he is and as great as he hopefully will be, I think is a really good third-line piece on a cup contending team. And so with that being said, looking at the top line, I think that stays intact. I think you're probably... You know, two years from now, you'll have two years left on the Skinner deal. If there's anybody from the other five guys, aside from Paterka, who are currently in the top six, who I think could maybe find their way out of the top six, it would be Skinner. However, I will say, though, that I don't think that we're going to have to worry about regression with him that much at that point. So I think two years from now, he still is in the top six. I think the top line probably is going to remain intact. And I think you're going to be looking at Cousins, Quinn, and piece that will be acquired via trade as your top six. I don't know who that's going to be. I think the Timo Meyer idea is fleeting a bit, but it's 100% somebody of that vein where probably this off season, I would assume that they're going to go out and identify a guy in their earlier mid twenties who is an RFA or maybe has some term on a struggling team. And you're going to bring him in to bolster that top six for you. If it's Meyer, that's great, but it is, I think, totally somebody of that vein. So I think five of the six pieces are already there. It's just finding that last one that's eventually going to complete the top six for what it's going to be for the foreseeable future, at least until Skinner's contract is up in four years. What are your thoughts, Taylor? Yeah, so I I was thinking about how things could change within two years. My couple thoughts were the, the big swing that you mentioned potentially could – that's that's one of the things that's hard to predict because that could kind of depending on what position that is and what caliber of player that is that could kind of throw the lines into disarray which is not a bad thing it just would 
change not to throw them into disarray. It would just change them around a lot. Yeah. So that could you know that could lead to a lot of changes. You know the the easiest answer. So I think what are we talking that we're talking February twenty twenty five? Maybe there's this off chance that the first line's still playing together and yeah. they're playing well. That's possible. And in that case, I think one thing if if they're serious about potentially not making a big swing and they're more looking to grow from within one person that I, th- I think could slide in then is Coolidge yep. as a young guy. He could take over for Turka, same shooting hand. He, I mean, he plays center now, but theoretically he could start out on the wing and see how that goes on the, the He has experience on the wing too. Yeah. So see how that goes at the NHL level. And that would be pretty simple. The other thing I was thinking though, is, is there a possibility that as he gets older, Jeff Skinner slides down the lineup a little bit. And is more of like a third pairing guy, theoretically, that plays with a good uh, defensive center. Maybe even like Krebs, a guy that can pass. Maybe. And, and theor- hopefully, fingers crossed, Krebs turns into a strong player in his own zone. Um, that could be interesting as well. I see Tuck and Thompson, not, if, if they're not playing together, I just see them on the top line or second line. I just see them getting huge minutes regardless. And I kind of see that future for Cousins and Quinn, too. I mean, you're going to have Tage and Cousins one and two unless something really, really drastic happens. So then it's like, where do you go from there? I think Quinn to me seems like he's going to be a really good goal scoring talent. That'll be worth having in your top six. Can I throw something out there that you just put a really potentially fun idea in my head? What's that? What about two years from now? You have a third line of Krebs centering Skinner and Coolidge. And then Mm -hmm. maybe by that point, because of Savoy's speed and playmaking ability, maybe he ends up being able to fit into that top six mix there. And then you still have your one other acquisition that you need to make. But I think that could be really interesting as, as another option too. Maybe, maybe Savoy ends up being a good pace guy to play with Tage and Tuck for that matter. You know, it'll be interesting to see how Savoy is eventually going to fit, but he's a really good four checker in addition to obviously like we were talking about before with his, his speed and playmaking ability there. So that could even be something interesting too. Maybe Savoy makes his way in there. And then you're looking at a third line of Krebs, Skinner and Coolidge, which I'd be very happy with. And I think the important thing to keep in mind too, when it comes to Skinner, and we've talked about this over the past couple of years, really, really since he signed the contract, even though maybe Skinner is, is making more than he should, which that even now is being contested. I don't know if you saw the athletic, how they do their contract projections and what people should be making relative to their production. Skinner is actually based on uh, Dom's and, and Shana's model is making right about where he should be at with his production level right now. Mm, it's great that's good to hear. Yeah, it definitely is. And so in addition to that, though, I think the point I'm trying to make is that even though he is making a lot of money right now, the style of play that Skinner is known for and has success with is conducive, I think, to aging gracefully at the NHL level. I would think so. And he hasn't been hurt that much in his career. Right, exactly. You know, and he's not like a burner, so you're not going to necessarily have to worry about losing him losing a ton of foot speed. A lot of his skating talent comes from the fact of how shifty he is and how well he utilizes his edges. And then on top of that, too, a lot of his bread and butter goals are in and around the net, which is something that, again, isn't necessarily a trait that you're going to lose with age as you enter into your early 30s. So I think that Skinner could be somebody that hopefully maybe we're being a little too optimistic, but I think that he's a guy that could age pretty gracefully as he continues on in that contract. Yeah. So, next up we have from Sabres fanatic at Buffalo sports 21. Do you think Kevin has interest in Jordan Greenway? 
Granado did coach him, and to me, he could be another power forward like Tuck and provide some grit. So I think that's a good question. Greenway is somebody that's come up a lot, especially with the Wild and the interesting predicament that they're in right now with all the dead cap that they have, in addition to having some younger guys who are going to be coming up through the mix for them. They don't have a ton of flexibility there, and so Greenway seems like a guy that could be potentially on his way out as he hasn't really been able to find a fit in that top six fixture there, top nine fixture. He's been getting some time on the third and fourth line a bit there, so... He's somebody that I think is intriguing. I do think that there is a lot of merit to people who make the talking point about needing to find another Tuck on the team. However, Greenway really doesn't have the finishing touch or the skill that Tuck has, not even close. So while is one goal not this year, not in an empty net. Yeah. So while I think that the skill set is intriguing, I don't necessarily think that he's somebody that I would be jumping at investing an asset in into trying to bring back in a trade i think that you could find somebody who could give you a similar level of production on that fourth line through probably free agency or even through another trade to find another guy who's able to kind of fill in that role for you that you need there but i don't really look at him as the kind of guy where i'm particularly interested in sending assets out the door to bring him in if it's like you trade him for like Yoki Haru or something like that, or somebody that you don't really want to be on the team in the future. Maybe we can talk about a bigger deal there, but he's not really somebody that I think is, is worthwhile to consider investing an asset in, because I also think you can even look at what he gives you compared to maybe what you have in the system right now and would eventually also be a cheaper option there too. So not a ton of interest there personally, but Taylor, what are your thoughts? He's also getting paid 3 million a year for the next two years, I believe. So to me that, that's that's something where I always feel like they should be attaching an asset to get rid of him because they're not doing any favors to his reputation by uh, kind of he's he's been getting healthy scratched a couple times. He was in trouble with the team, breaking team rules or whatever. So I, I don't really see it as that interesting. I and mean, if it's a deadline move, especially it's like, where the hell is he playing? Uh, Gergensen's has been really good in his own zone this year. He's not been particularly productive, but. He's been solid at what his role is. Oposo still solid in his own zone. If they really want a guy who's pretty cheap that can provide more defensive value, he's right there in the press box. That's Rasmus Asplund. Like I, I, they don't need him necessarily, but yeah, I don't see Greenways, but the contract, all that stuff. I just, there's no, to me, there's no real upside to it. If they're bringing him as a free agent, maybe, but they also just they have a lot of forwards, so I, I think, and not a lot of not a lot of rooms, so. I agree. And to your point about Gergensen's too, your boy, Michael Blake McCurdy actually said, he posted uh, his charts today and it said that if he had Selkie votes that Gergensen's deserves to get some down ballot ones. So good for Zemgis. But yeah, not really a, a particularly a fan of the Greenway idea, but thank you for asking the question though, Sabres Fanatic. We very, very much appreciate it. Moving on, we <laughs> We have a loaded question that our our pal we just talked about, Sabres Fanatic, kind of got into it with uh, Josh Civiletti, who asked, again, very loaded here, why do you think everyone hates Casey Middlestat? Do you want to take the first swing at this, Taylor? Would you like me to? What do we want to do? Yeah, I can start. I think to be just to start things off, part of it is because he is a seventh or eighth overall pick. I don't remember which one who hasn't been productive. It's his draft plus six season. So this is a time when you really should have things figured out. He's, he turned 24 earlier this season and it's, it's not clear if he, if he really has a role at the NHL level or what it is, 
the counter argument a lot of people have been making recently is like he already has his career high in points. It's only early February, which is true. He has 28 points. He has seven goals and 21 assists. I would just like to note, though, that he has two even strength goals and 13 even strength assists. He has 15 even strength points this year, which would also be good and it'd be better for his career. But but yeah, he's he's doing pretty well on his limited power play time. And uh, the, the thing that people always say is like, hey, is that bad to score in the power play? No, it's just not a. It's not really that special of a skill. A lot of guys can pick up power play assists. And he obviously has some power play goals too, which is good. Uh, so I'll start with that. He's been better. So that's what my one explanation is. He hasn't been good enough. Two, people watch him get pushed off the puck all the time. We all see it. It, it. His strength was a concern coming out of college, and it doesn't seem like he's put in the time to get better at that. Uh, his effort was a question when he went to the AHL. His uh, well, What a better rookie year in the NHL. And yeah, I think a lot of people have talked about what a fraught journey it's been for him between he um, he went to his one year of college, he comes here, they're immediately like, oh, you're the second line center now. You're 19 years old. You were just playing high school hockey a couple of years ago. You're the second line center. Doesn't go well. He goes down to the AHL, eventually starts producing there, and then boom, COVID, taxi squad, finally Granado gives him a chance after Kruger gets fired, and he actually has a solid end of that season. Last year, weird lingering injury. But, folks, this year was the chance. And, yes, he has a career high in points. Like I said, a lot of power play points there. Uh, even strength, he's just getting he's getting pushed around. He's getting uh, he, he's getting outplayed. And the third, third reason, I guess, if this is third or fourth, I don't know, to answer the question is because there's no one else to hate. <laughs> someone <laughs> hockey fans have to get mad at someone we got to get mad at someone and i can even say doing this podcast it was so easy to keep bringing guys up like uh well we had cody eakin for a while we had vladimir sabaka for a while we had uh we had a couple guys last year but wait what was the guy's name that played a bunch of games last year that i would always laugh about i never noticed him <laughs> i don't remember his oh, name john hayden john, john hayden. hayden yes yeah this team is good and like just just look at real quick at the four group. I know there are defensemen to be mad at. Bryson, yikes, some, some of the times. Yoki Hari is disappointing. Lipchushkin can play dumb sometimes. But looking at the forward group, it's like first line, awesome, rocks. Second line, love cousins. Quinn, excited by. Paterka is holding his own enough as a rookie. He's not embarrassing himself. And then you look beyond that. You look, Jost. Oh, Jost has been a nice surprise. Olafson is having his best year ever at even strength. He's scoring at even strength for the first time ever. Uh, Krebs looking a lot better of late. No, Poso and Gergensen's are what they are. Asplund's not playing, so you can't get mad at him. Henestros is gone. Casey Fitzgerald's gone. Pilot's back in Rochester. So you can choose to get mad at one of three defensemen who are kind of like equally bad but not terrible. Or you can have Middlestat, who you just – you any hockey fan can watch and be like, man, he gets pushed around a lot. Even for a guy that hasn't been terrible this year, it's not good. And then – I. If you want to talk about why people want to talk about trading him, it's because there's not room for him. Like, if if now Victor Olofsson may or may not be part of the future, I don't know yet. We have a question on that too, I think. Um, game, yeah. But Middlestat, like, you can't make the argument that they're just they should hold down Coolidge and Savoy and other guys longer so we can give Casey Middlestat one more chance. He's not terrible. He's not as bad as like Nylander, for example, as a bust, but. I don't see him as part of the future, and I think a lot of fans uh, perceive him to be a guy who doesn't give enough effort to get better, despite his vast talent. That's a great 
Great explanation there. I think for me, it boils down to, and I'm going to overlap with some of the things that you said, Taylor, but I think it comes down to consistency where there are times where we see that he does have the NHL burst, but it feels like far more often than not that he seems like he is laboring out there and that he's having a hard time skating and keeping up with the pace of play. Now we've seen guys and we've talked about them at length, like Reinhardt and Ryan O'Reilly, who don't have necessarily the best foot speed, but they're able to make up for it through various other traits that make them quality, high level NHL players. Middlestat has those traits, but does not do them on a consistent enough basis. And so again, we're talking about pace of play and skating there, but you talk about some of the things that are the hallmarks of his game, his hands, for example, they are good for sure. He's able to make really good passes. He's very quick at getting the puck off of his stick at times. However, to your point though, too, in the moments that he doesn't, it's very easy for him to get pushed off the puck when it comes to his shooting ability. He's got a really good shot, like a deceptively good shot. He just does not shoot nearly enough though. And he's not as aggressive enough as you would really like him to be. There's a lot of times too, where you'll see like if it's an odd man rush and he will be the one to take the shot. But again, there's also that contrasted with a lot of other times where he passes up those shots or he just on the power play doesn't have the aggressiveness that you really want to see out of somebody on the first unit there. It just seems like he's passive a lot. So I I think that level of inconsistency coupled with the items that you said there and just, again, the fact of what this forward group is right now and how they play, he does not have consistent enough skills with the other areas of his game outside of his speed that it makes up for the lack of, of foot speed and breakaway speed that he has. So to your point that you had made before though, Taylor about Victor Olofsson and getting a question there, our pal, Mike Drebot. Also, again, just want to actually quickly say uh, thank you to Josh for that question, but our pal, Mike Drebot gave a very good question and one that we're going to probably need to keep talking about as we approach both the trade deadline and as we get into the offseason. Given Victor Olofsson's improved five-on-five play this season, is there any scenario that you would see him being a medium-slash-long-term piece, or do you both still believe they will need to trade him soon? I will go first on this and say I don't think that We have to use the word need necessarily long-term piece. I don't think I would subscribe to, but a medium term piece. I think that I can see the benefits in keeping a guy like that around who has that otherworldly shooting talent, who has good finishing ability, who is an additional threat on the power play there. There's absolutely merit to that, to, to wanting to keep that around. However, you still also, though, need to consider, yes, his five-on-five play has improved, but Olofsson at times has been very, very streaky throughout his career. On top of that, as I was talking about his finishing ability there more, he does have you know a, a high, high-end shooting talent, but he's also shooting 19% this year right now. He also has 23 goals, which is great, but he only has six assists there. And so you really would like to, even though he has moments where he shows that he does have a little bit of playmaking chops, you're really not seeing uh, enough of it as much as you would like to there. Again, he has a very, very specific and even more importantly, very valuable skill set that could prove to be really, really important to an NHL team. However, for me, 
And again, as we're talking about the the makeup of this team, some of the guys who are going to be coming up in the mix too, with you know your your Savoy and Kuliches a couple of years from now, Ostland if he's still here, Rosine is maybe only a year or two off too, which he gives you maybe some similar some similar skill sets to Olafson. I just think that when you're talking about managing assets and maximizing the value in said assets, that the the clip that Olafson is scoring at right now is probably as good as you are ever going to see for his career. We just saw, obviously, not making the comparison of the player or anything like that because they're two very different players, but Bo Horvat is having a career year right now in large part due to a very inflated shooting percentage. And so we've seen it's a trend that GMs will give up assets for that. And I think that when it comes to Olafson, I don't necessarily know if you do it at the deadline, unless there's a good fit there, I don't think you have to be in a rush to, which is maybe the the key part of this. I think that they have the benefit of being able to wait and wait for the right offer to come along. But if it were me, I would want to move on from Olafson either at the deadline or in the off season coming up here, because I do think that you would be able to get some value in return. And on top of that, you are able to plug somebody into his spot in the lineup where maybe they don't have necessarily the finishing talent that he has, but they have more consistent five on five play, or you find somebody like Rosine that's going to be able to, to fit in on that third line role or Coolidge on that third line role that gives you a little bit more depth to their game than what Olafson gives you on a consistent season-long basis what are your thoughts Taylor do you think that it's worth considering keeping Olafson around are you kind of in a similar boat where there is value to keeping him but you more so would like to see him gone where do you stand on this conversation now I think I would pretty much guarantee I wouldn't trade him at the deadline unless there was like a crazy deal because I think they really should be making a playoff push I know it's gonna their their schedule is gonna make it very hard for them to to do that, but Hey, they still have the opportunity to go out there and, and do that. Like they're still very much in it at the moment, like points percentage wise, they're even close. So it's just, it's going to come down to obviously having to beat a bunch of teams that have been better to you to the better than you to this point. So to do that, I think you would need Victor Olofsson and it's worth going after just like I thought in 2017, it was worth um, throwing Tyrod Taylor back out there game after game because shit, you can't just throw away an opportunity to miss the play to make the playoffs after missing it for right. however many years. Uh, so that's that's an important thing to consider after the season, though. Yeah, it's something you still look at. Like I'm kind of like I don't really want to keep. I, I just feel bad having to keep talking about his really good career season uh, by talking about hey, we're we gonna trade him or what. And I think some people have kind of totally cooled off that idea of trading him. But I still think offseason wise, like this is a good thing for his trade value, obviously. But I'd be way more ecstatic if he was a part of a a playoff team, if we could capture the eighth seed. And then theoretically, you do what you got to do in the summer, because at that point, Adams and everyone else in the organization have a better idea of what does the team want to look like next year? Are we making a big swing? Are we bringing Coolidge up, hopefully? Do we think Rosine is ready? Because I think that's very much an open question. So and the contract side of it too, we didn't even get to, which is the other thing is that he only has one year left on his deal. He's going to be, that's yeah, he's going to be in his age 28 season next year. And so I think that's the other side of it is that this is a, a comp- if you had him like locked up for like four by four or something like that, or four by five, I think we're having a very different conversation here and you wouldn't be in such a rush to do that. I just don't know if I'm going to want to invest both the money and the term 
and him being 28 years old coming off of next season when we don't know how his play is going to cool off next year, if it does, of course, compared to how it is now. Whereas if he continues having this career season, let's say he does end up scoring 40 goals. I would rather pass the bill on to another team to have to worry about what his next contract is going to look like than rather than having it fall on the Sabres. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's another good point. Uh, are you going to pay him for whatever, whatever amount of money he wants? I don't know. Right. All right. Next one. This is our last one from Twitter. Mike, Mike. And he, I think participated in his last one because I, I remember this Twitter handle, Mike, bitch, Mike. I love that's great. Mike that's, pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate the question, Mike. He had asked, should the Sabres be in on possible reclamation projects like Lafreniere or Zadina guys who haven't lived up to their draft slot and are growing out of favor with their current teams. What are your thoughts, Taylor? So did he have names there? Yeah. Zadina, uh, Philip Zadina from Detroit and your, your boy, Alexi Lafreniere from the Rangers. Oh, okay. So I had these questions mixed up. There's another person that has a different set of names, but yes. Um, so my answer is not yet. I think a team you might want to look at, like theoretically the Sabres might want to emulate is the reigning Stanley cup champions. I want to do what they did, right? Colorado. We'd all love to win the Stanley cup and a part of their an important part of their cup was a reclamation project in uh, Nichushkin. And I don't remember how many goals Nichushkin had last year, but it was way more than, I mean, he had, I think he had a year where he had zero and then all of a sudden he was a significantly better player. And I think Nachushkin was a former seventh overall pick and then boom, he's a really productive second or third liner. He's a middle six guy on the team that wins the Stanley cup. That's a reclamation project, right? I think the time you start doing that is not now. I think, first of all, even though I think the culture is headed in a good direction, the vibes are getting good, all that stuff. I think you want to win a little bit more and kind of get yourself set up as a playoff team, a contender the way Colorado did. And then I think you start to make those moves when you're a little bit more up against the cap and you're like, who are we going to fill in the bottom six? A guy that could be really good. Like, you know, there's maybe Lafreniere will be better when he gets a a chance more down the lineup. Or I think that he says Zadina too is is the other one. Yeah. Zadina. yeah. Yeah. So guys like that. Yeah. Theoretically, I think that's a few years down the line. So maybe not those guys exactly. Although maybe that's when Lafreniere will become available. He's the first overall pick. He'll probably stick for a few more years in New York. I like the thought, though. I do like the thought, and I agree with you completely. I don't have a ton more to add. I think that they are still a couple years out from that, but I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it depending on the player and depending on what the cost is. Like, would I give up our first this year or next year for Lafreniere? No. But, and again, that's probably what the asking price is going to be for a guy like that. I would have to think Zadina is significantly less, but it's of intrigue to me. I, I, I guess it piques my interest a bit, but I agree that I don't think that that is the kind of move that they need to make or prioritize making this coming uh, off season. All right, Taylor. And I spoke too soon. We have one last one on Twitter at B Sabres, 1989 asked assessments of Boone Jenner, Gavrikov and Joel Edmondson. It's interesting. I would say probably of that bunch Boone Jenner is intriguing. I think as people were recently talking about the prospect of bringing back somebody like Ryan O'Reilly. I think Boone Jenner, you would kind of bring in for the exact same reason in terms of like a two-way consistent face-off winning center. Both of them are probably two of the top 10 best face-off centermen in the league. But again, I just, I don't think that any of these guys really jump out at me as again, like worth 
investing any kind of capital in or investing any of our, our current prospects or resources in to, to bring any of them in. You know, Jenner, of course, would be to to bolster up front. Gavrikov and Edmondson would be on the back end and probably like a bottom pair role. But Bryson and Labushkin, we'll see how they are coming out of the break. But they were playing a little bit better uh, in the lead up to the all-star break. I don't think that either of them, I think Labushkin should probably be like just because of contractual reasons, be the seventh defenseman next year. But I would like to see them completely recreate or uh, completely, you know, have a new third pair going into next year. So I don't love the idea of any of them particularly. They're, it's all just kind of meh to me a little bit. What are your thoughts? So Gavrikov is the guy this year. He's the the classic uh, Ben Sherat kind of guy. Yeah. He No one really knows why he's getting all this fuss, but he's getting it. <laughs> and that'll mean – well, and I, I, this basically happens every year. I think people have written about this. There's a guy every year that it's like, huh, this guy pops up in the list and it's like he goes for a crazy amount. And right. people are already talking first round pick plus for him. That's insane. And for that price, no way. I mean, that's the Sherat Sher- deal again. So no on him basically just because of that. It's not like I don't – like obviously he could help the team in some way, but no, I don't I – don't, not a fan of that at all. So that's that would be uh, kind of a hard no for me. And I think you're going to see a team that's a contender, or at least thinks it's a contender, trading something pretty big for him. And then we'll see how that goes for them, I guess. Um, Boone Jenner? Uh, uh, kind of have four centers. Yeah. Like, I don't... You mentioned you compared him to O'Reilly, which is kind of, but also O'Reilly is just so much better of a offensive force than Boone Jenner. Like... It's a guy, he's a guy that would play in your bottom six. He'd be like a third line center. Like, I think they basically got, what, 80% of Boone Jenner with Jost when they picked Jost up for nothing. So, yeah, I mean, Jenner is like definitely solid. Don't get me wrong. And right. filled in admirably on Columbus's top line for the better part of the past few years. But I but just he's a UFA too. He's a, so. Yeah, he's a U, and I just don't. I just don't know if he's necessarily what the team needs right now in terms of, again, what you're going to invest in bringing in a guy. Yeah, that's a good point. Edmondson, maybe. I, I oh. wouldn't hate that for if if you could get him for like a very small deal, the kind of deal the Sabres, you know, they usually have to give away a defenseman. He's better than like, I'd say, Robert Hag or whoever last year. But like right. the Sabres, it feels like multiple times like, oh, I guess just take our defenseman for a third rounder. It'll be a little bit more than that, obviously, but. Edmondson is someone I don't, I wouldn't mind that just because if you want to be serious about making a playoff push, I think one more good defenseman would be something that you should do. And and he's just pretty good, obviously. He's he's nothing too special, but uh, he's he's been around quite a bit. Uh, the only question is like, is he going to be someone someone stupidly overpays for? There's not that much uh, buzz about that, but I guess we'll see. Uh, he actually has next year left in his contract too, at three point five million which actually helps with kind of what I'm thinking. That'd be Edmondson would be someone that I wouldn't mind at all um, bringing back next year in kind of moving Lipchushkin to that seventh spot. And they get you my, is Bryson a free agent? RFA. RFA. Well, you can trade him or you can not qualify him. So <laughs> you could, uh, I mean, uh, or you could keep him. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But actually, no, Bryson is also here for another year. But he has a cap hit of you know one point eight five mil. He signed a two year okay. deal back in July. Is Yoki Haru an RFA? That's a great question. I think he might have another year too. 
Okay, wow. They don't have as much flexibility as I thought. But Edmondson yep, would be interesting. He's got one more one at 2.5. But I think Yoki Haru is an absolutely should be in the conversation for a trade. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Somebody all, would take all three of those Somebody guys you just mentioned should. So, yeah. I mean, maybe Yoki Haru goes back in this trade. Yeah. If, we, if they make it. So, could be. Could be. But I, now, the... now that I – yeah, just real quick, though. I, I want to amend, though, saying now that he has a, a year – more left than I thought. It won't be just like for a third round pick, but maybe it'll be for a second and Yoki Haru and done deal for me, bud. All right. Moving on to Instagram. Let's start off with Yvonne. Cause I was a little bit offended by his question. He said, you guys should have Taylor rank South Buffalo bars and also give me realistic trades for GMKA that aren't Meyer and, and check. No. Uh, he said, did he spell it? Like, Chechnya. Uh, he spelled it yeah. like Chechnya. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, uh, offensive, though, because I'm also from South Buffalo. So, like, what the fuck? I you were going to say you're from Chechnya. I'm also from Chechnya. So, I'm, I'm very upset that he did not. Uh, Some kind it. of Russian green beret. <laughs> Held 16 Czech, Chechen rebels single handedly. All right. Well, let's do that first, Taylor. Give me your, your South Buffalo top three bar ranking. All right. I'd like to start out by saying Yvonne's heart was in the right place because. I don't think you've hung out in South Buffalo bars that much. So I think not he these days. Doing you a solid. Yeah. Not much these doing... days. He wasn't saying you weren't from South Buffalo. He's recognizing that you, uh, you don't have as much experience in that department. Wow. So All right. easy there. You just, that's not, that's not a, a subjective thing. So as a ruling is Potter's count as a South Buffalo bar. Yes. Yeah. It's over the border into West Seneca, but it's a South Buffalo bar. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is a ranking. One thing I would say about South Buffalo bars, and I'm sure you would agree, is they're insanely spread out. There is no bar district. It is not at all easy to walk from bar to bar. There's Correct. very few bars you can easily walk to. So there's a bunch of bars that I've that have been open forever that I've, you know, seen since I was a kid that I've never been to. Like, um, especially on like South Park, for example, I've spent. Very little time in my life on like South Park, but uh, you know, let's say many, many years ago, more than a decade ago, I was seeing a lady over there. So I'd sometimes walk by these bars uh, that were over there by like past where like the old South Buffalo Charter was. So obviously past where Ambrose was as well. Be like, who are these people going to these bars? I've never known anyone to go in one of these. I didn't even know what these places were called. So there's a bunch of bars that will definitely not make it, but there's other bars that I just never went to before they closed, like Conlins on Abbott. Conlins. Oh, man. Yeah, the hop in. Was it called the hop in? Yep. Hop in. Yep. Uh that was a big place. People went to our high school went to when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. I did not have a fake ID in high school, so I did not go. I believe though, if I'm not mistaken, that is now reopened as another bar owned by Tim Kennedy's dad. No, you don't say. Oh yeah, I it is. Be- uh can you dig it, right? Yeah, that's it. Yep. Yep. I never been to that one either. So like Brendan, I don't drink in South Buffalo as much as I used to. There's some classics I'll mention though, and I'll give you my opinion. I don't know if this is really a ranking though. One um, is I only went to once that I regret. I think it's still open. I should probably try to go there again at some point. It was Jordan's Ale House. Yep. Um, on I think that's on Ab, but it's right by Chicken and Pizza Works. Uh, it has I think live it's music. Technically, it, oh wait, yeah, it would be actually. I think Abbott, right? Or it's was by that... where Saint Agatha's used to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a block down was, from like Griffins over there. and Yeah, stuff. I'm going to say all these are like on Abbott. They're nowhere near each other on Abbott, though. A lot of these bars. Right. There actually is a, there's a, 
kind of tiny little bar district, but I don't think it counts because I don't think there's a lot of overlap between the people that go to them. We'll get to no. that later. Jordan's Alehouse, shout out, you know, respect to you. Um, one that I like that's a definitely bar slash restaurant that's improved in my estimation a lot because of its outdoor area that they've done upgrades to is the Blackthorn. They have like a cool indoor outdoor bar too. It was a, I watched a Bills game there. It was a terrible game uh, from 2017. I stormed out of the bar because it was so bad. It was a terrible Thursday night football game. Uh, tell me who the Bills lost to. It was the New York Jets, Brendan. Who was their quarterback? What year was this? 2017. Was it Gino? Josh McCown. Oh. <laughs> anyway. So the Blackthorn's great. I have really nothing bad to say about the Blackthorn, except it's just like what I would say about anything else. You can't walk anywhere. But you know where you can walk when you're done drinking at the Blackthorn? What do you got? Texas Hot slash Slime yes. Lines. Yes. Slime Line. Whatever you like to call it, folks. The best garbage food in Western New York. I mm. love it. It's it's better than Louis. Come at me, Louis people. They're out so, there. They're coming for you. Yeah. If you want to go to a nice, classy place to get like a Stella Artois and then a Stella Artois glass. It's the nicest you can get in South Buffalo, by the way. Uh, that is the Bistro on Abbott Road. Yep. Love the brick oven Bistro. Yep. You Formerly Riley's. You used to work there? Yeah. I was. Uh, I started off as a dishwasher there my senior year of high school. And then after and I- now did, he owns the place. Exactly. No, then after that, I was a host for about a year there. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. We know a couple people that work there, though. It's a great place, great food. It's like a restaurant during the day, but no, you you know, it's a bar. They have sports on and whatnot. It's nice. It's not open too late or anything. Um, And this is where I'll get to the mini bar district because this that's relatively new. That's not there when we were kids. That was a convenience store. Um, Basically, right by there is Imperial. Also, didn't used to be a bar. Imperial used to have like no seating, had like picnic tables outside. You just got your pizza and left or they brought it to you. They did a huge renovation. And now they have a huge bar, tons of TVs, all this stuff. It's really good. I really like it. But to me, it's very much an afternoon slash dinner bar. It closes way earlier than you would expect. And this is not a COVID thing. It dates back to before COVID. It, but it's uh, it's good. It's 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 a nice, solid space. And it's one of the rare bars around here that's like newish. I know Bistro is new, but it's not like it's not a new space. This is like a new building basically it's it's cool uh it's good place to watch football i would say which is a plus and then also in that area and this is why i say people don't there's no overlap is molly's mm, molly mcguire's molly mcguire's i have not been there nearly enough in my life and i really respect that place it's definitely the 4 a.m bar it's it looks i don't know how they what exactly it is but it it looks like they put like black duct tape over the windows <laughs> <laughs> like um, it's, it's, it, it's right next to a place that constantly changes ownership, which many, many, many years ago when Molly's opened, it was doctor's pizza next door, which was my which favorite was pizza. Ever. Really good pizza. Yeah. Owned by, um, former Buffalo bills, Sean doctor, but also time and graduates horns up, hey. um, pause up. Uh, so that Molly's is great. It's it's a, a real degenerate place. You got to be in the right mood to go there. You got to go there after midnight. I can't imagine drinking there before midnight. Um, it's a really fun time. And I wish I'd gone there more in my life. And now I'm getting old. And if I go there, I'll be, you know, be one of the older guys there. Uh, and then that just brings us down to the final two spots. Docs is somewhere I have to mention. Docs is such a staple. And I'm going to say I don't enjoy going there that much anymore, but mostly because 
I just think Docs draws too big of a crowd for it, the space that it has, even though Docs is not a small place. I have a long history. I had my communion party. My first communion party was at Docs. One of my cousin's first birthdays was there. I drank there a million times. It's one of the first places I went to when I was like 21, you know, 21, 22, 23. That was like a spot. But I, I almost feel like it's for the kids a little bit, even though it's not that young of a crowd. Like I'd like it way more if I was still that age. But yeah, like I said, it's it's got like what you want. It's got a big wraparound bar. It's got a kitchen that's open pretty late. Like it should be a little bit easier to, to be there, but it just it gets such a huge crowd that I found every time I've been there for like years now that it's been kind of hard to navigate. And if it if it wasn't so hard to navigate, it'd be great. It has shuffleboard. It has you know a bunch of cool stuff in there, darts and whatnot. It has that that auxiliary room. I feel like they should make more use out of when there's not parties going on. Uh, so that's Docs. I rank it lower than this. My number one. This is actually the actual ranking part of it. Is I'm going to rank my my favorite one, which is Potters. Technically not a South Buffalo bar because it's in West Seneca, but folks, they redid the floors recently, which is nice. Potters is the place that can get too crowded, but I, I, for some reason, I guess I don't mind. Um, They have a nice porch. I also spent a lot of time there Um, when I was younger. I can actually say that I remember going there when I was 20 one time. It was right before I turned 21. It was Christmas break my junior year and just ordered a beer. And it, it wasn't even like I had to like, it wasn't a situation where it's like, oh, give them a fake ID, lie to them, wink, wink with the bartender. No, it's just like, have a beer. Yeah, you can have a beer. You look you like you might be 21. I didn't look that old. But like, so that was appreciated that they would just be like, yeah, sure. Let's not go through the whole song and dance. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of good nights there. Uh, it's just totally unpredictable what the crowd could be. Uh, you have nights there where it's open past four. I've been there where like it's been like 410 and I've gotten a beer times where like people have stayed even later that I didn't want to stay um and times where it's closed at like midnight uh and also you have in terms of the demographics I've had times where it's just full of people that are like my parents age not necessarily a bad thing not necessarily a good thing but there'll be those kind of nights where it's like wow I'm the youngest person here and I distinctly remember a night somewhere around like 2017 18 they had a younger bartender at the time and uh like the senior class at West Seneca West, like had taken over the bar. And I don't mean from like his senior class from years ago. I mean, the literal senior class at West Seneca West, it was all high school kids. And then like me and my friends, it's just such a weird vibe. You never really know what you're walking into. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this, cause it's way too long of an answer is another sad bills game story, but this one has a happier ending for me, at least not for the bills. 2014, the bills lost to the Raiders. I was a senior in college. It was they theoretically could have made the playoffs. They wouldn't have made it if they won. I think a lot of people forget. Not a, not all the tiebreakers went right. Like it wasn't like 04. So 2014, Bills good defense. Kyle Orton. They lose to like the two and twelve Raiders at that point. Second last game of the year. And it was on Christmas break, and I had to go to like I went gone to like brunch with my mom. It's a 4 p.m. game in Oakland. Me and all my friends are there. We watch the game halftime. There's a cool buffet of like pizza and wings and stuff. Game ends, and my brother, um put on the jukebox as people are filing out. Cause for them, it's a Sunday. They all have to go to work. They're not college kids like us on break. They're filing out after 7 PM on a Sunday and he puts on landslide. <laughs> and every, so the guy just was like, Oh, what the hell? And everyone just kind of grumbling as they leave. So now the bar is like 10 people. And remember there's the, the tank savers are on after that. We watched them lose, which was, I guess, good at the time. Watch like Monday night football. And then before you know it, it was three in the morning. We've been, Jesus, we've been here for 11 hours. So I remember that was a really fun day. It just felt like by the end of the night, I was like, this is like my living room, basically. There's like no one there. That was great. It was a really memorable time. Um, 
so yeah, shout out to Potters. Uh, a lot of great times there. And uh, I saw Buffalo. My advice in the future is, and someone who no longer lives there, is make Abbott a real bar district. I don't know how yeah. you incentivize that. Uh, mm-hmm. Scanlon, get on this somehow. Do government stuff. and Because Abbott Road is full of empty places right now. The former yep. Reese's Convenience Store is empty. The former Abbott Pizza is empty. Because Abbott moved, I haven't moved like 15 years ago. That place, I don't believe, is in use. Oh, and what doesn't the right next to the bistro on the corner of Shenandoah or uh, not? Or is it Shenandoah and uh, Abbott? It was uh, an Ace Hardware. It was the tanning bed previously. I feel like that's changed. That's another good. There was a bar there in the past, I believe. Right. Yeah, that's another one. Um, the former gas station where that hostage situation happened all those years ago. That's like been like 20 years. Can we make that something now? All these things could be bars. Let's make True. all of these bars, and then you'll have a bar district, and people won't have to be like, do I have to take an Uber from Potter's to that? If you want to do a bar crawl from like Potter's to Molly's to Doc's to Jordan's Ale House, have one beer each. That's taking you five hours. Not really, but it's going to take you a, a long time. So, uh, you know, don't drive between them. <laughs> Certainly not. Certainly yeah. Not. See if anyone actually listens to that one. Anyway. <laughs> All right, well, do you want me to tackle the second part of the question? Yeah, you answer the second part. All right, well, part two of that was realistic trade proposals for Kevin Adams that aren't Meyer or Jacob Chekrin. I'm going to give two answers on this. I'm going to give one in the forward group and then one for the defense. Forward group, big swing, defense, third pair guy for next year. Among the forwards, somebody that's not Meyer that I think is very intriguing and we just need to get him the hell out of Philadelphia is Travis Konechny. I think that Konechny is the kind of guy that gives you somewhat of a similar skill set to Tuck in that he plays with a bit of a, a bite to him, a little bit of aggression in his game there. He has good finishing ability. He's putting up, uh, he's playing at over a point per game pace right now. He, for the majority of his career, has been a a really solid possession player as well. He's down a bit this year, but Philly is just pitifully terrible. But he's looks pretty good when you look at his Corsi 4 percentage at even strength. He's been this year, he's at 48.4%, which isn't great. But prior to this year, going backwards from last year on, he was at 50.1%. The year before that, 55.1%. Before that, 55.6%. And before that, 50.3%. And again, as a refresher, and this will lead into our next question, Corsi 4 percentage is essentially you want to be above 50% because being above 50% means that the team was controlling the puck more often than not with this player on the ice in that situation, that description, of course, coming from hockeyreference.com. But Konechny is a guy that I think could be an interesting fit into this group. I think he gives them something that's a little bit different. And I think that if you're looking at him as potentially somebody that in an Olofsson swap, even as a, as a matter of fact, somebody that maybe it's Olofsson in a piece. And then you bring back Konechny, you're getting a little bit younger in that move there. Let me double check his contract situation as well right now, but I like his skill set. He's been the guy for Philly here. He's been putting up points, even though again, maybe some of his underlyings haven't been great. And as far as his contract goes, he signed a six year deal a few years back and he has two years left on his deal after this upcoming season at five, 5.5 million per year, which is pretty, pretty reasonable for what he can bring you in a top six role. And maybe that's somebody, I mean, God, if you put him out there with cousins and Quinn, that could be a really, really nice second line for you. My other guy that I'm going to go with aside from Konechny, 
uh, on the blue line. And I know, you know, Chakrin, when we're talking about him, that would really be for the top four role there. But as we had said before, I would love for the Sabres to completely reconstruct their bottom pair. And somebody who I think is pretty interesting, who is an RFA at the end of next year. I don't necessarily know if he's somebody that's on the market right now. But Sean Dursey from Los Angeles, I think, is a pretty intriguing name. He's been getting top four minutes with them, and he's been producing when it comes to, you know, just like a point production standpoint. Like so far this year, he is at 26 points through 50 games, which is a really nice pace. However, there's definitely something left to be desired when it comes to his defensive game here. I think that he's somebody that would thrive in Granado's system, again, being on a third pairing role. This year, he's averaging about 20 minutes per game on ice. Uh, and I believe he's getting, he's on the second power play unit for them as well there. So you don't need that, you know, in terms of the power play when it comes to him. But I think having somebody that could kind of be like, not necessarily similar playing styles, but like kind of how Colin Miller was that really solid point producer on Vegas's third pair there who was offensive minded. You put him in those kinds of situations where maybe you get his offensive deployment, his zone starts up a little bit more. I think that Sean Dursey is somebody that if it's not going to work out in LA or they're maybe looking elsewhere or because of cap issues that they have and some contracts that they have coming up for guys that they're going to need to resign. Maybe he's someone that they look to in the off season. If LA doesn't make the playoffs this year, ends up flailing out a bit and the Sabres look to maybe give up a piece and, and bring him in to be your third, pairing right shot defenseman good stuff i don't know good offensive instincts though he can shoot and he's good in his in the offensive zone so he's somebody that i think is pretty interesting but to my point about analytics before garrett shea he commented on our instagram asking would you guys ever be down to do a more educational episode about about advanced statistics i feel like my brain has a hard time understanding expected goals for against Corsi score etc that's a really good question garrett that's something that taylor and i talk about a bit that we try to make analytics a little bit digestible like when we talk about them there's people who are much more qualified to speak on them at length than we are who we in fact have had on the show and so for one, to answer that question, yes, I think that would be a great idea. I think, Taylor, you and I can easily put that together. We get a couple of folks involved who can really get into uh, into some of those numbers in depth. But in the meantime, though, highly recommend going back and listening to some of our episodes from last season because we had a couple of really great guests on. We had Jay Fresh, who is a good follow on Twitter, at Jay Fresh Hockey. Or was he this season, actually? No, Jay Fresh was last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was um... – I almost feel like it was late, late season or summer. Okay, yeah, because so we had him and um and Luke evolving from wild. wild, evolving yeah. wild. We had on as well, and <clears throat> they were great. I believe it was Josh we had on from Evolving Wild, right? Or was it Luke? No, Luke, right? Or it it was wasn't Luke? Luke. Yeah, uh, we could go back and look and see. But that episode as well, we had so on. Is this an elaborate bit about how they're twins? Yeah, exactly. But no, check out either the Evolving Wild or J Fresh episodes from last year because we started both of those off talking a little bit about analytics and some of the baselines there. I think specifically with J Fresh too. And actually both of them, we were asking them just like weighing what analytics, what measurables are the most valuable or the most important, what NHL teams are really looking at there. So that's something though, Garrett, we appreciate you asking the question. We'll be sure to get that on the 
on the docket here that maybe that's something that we do in the off season coming up when we have a little bit of downtime, we can have a dedicated episode just to going through and, and explaining analytics. Also people who, who are very, very, very firmly in the analytics community, of course, is Chad and Anthony who have been on uh, a ton of times over the years since we've been straight up savers and previously blue and gold make Darlene. So any of those episodes, I would recommend going and checking out. Finally, Matt Scott, he had commented on our Instagram and asked, what are your realistic ideal D pairings for next season? Also, can we get some Canadas acoustic live on the pod sometime? I'll answer the second part. That would be really cool. And I'd love to do that as long as Taylor is okay with it. Yes. Beautiful. I, yeah. It's just a logistic thing, I guess, since two of the people don't live in Buffalo. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. Let's get to the first part of this question. To close off our mailbag, Taylor, what are your realistic ideal D pairings for next season? Hmm. That's, this is a really good idea. I, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I really just, I guess I like Darlene Samuelson a lot and I don't, I don't know what else to do. Like, I don't know what that leaves power to play with, but I guess I would say, this offseason, they should be active in how they deal with their defensemen. Since we we know now that they have everyone for at least one more year. So basically, everyone that's a defenseman is under contract next year. Uh, so that's, that's something. I, didn't, I mean, so yeah, Samuelson, Darlene, I'd like to leave. But maybe Power plays with Samuelson since Darlene's so good. This is an interesting one. Yeah. I only looked at the Twitter questions ahead of time, so I forgot about this one. Well, um, I, I guess, you know, one of my ideas is? Go for it. By the end of the season, having Ryan Johnson play a few games. Wouldn't that be nice, There we folks? go, folks. We would love that. That's very interesting. And Chad even said, I believe, in replies over the past couple of days that the last he had heard is that there was growing confidence that Johnson actually was going to sign. So that'd be great. I think, going off of your point, they are in an interesting spot here because they have, as we had said, Labushkin and Bryson locked up, and Yoki Haru for, this mat, for that matter, too, locked up beyond this season. However... We've been saying it for a while, and I'm going to maintain it. The only three defensemen currently on the roster who should be on the team next year, in my opinion, are Darlene, Samuelson, and Power. I think that they should look to maybe you keep around Labushkin and Bryson to be like seven and eight for you. Either one of them being the seventh is fine. But I think you obviously need to make a major upgrade in the top four, whether that's somebody that's going to play with Darlene and then you move Samuelson down to playing with power or you get somebody for power, probably more likely. And then that third pair. Yeah, I mean, maybe, okay. In the in the spirit of things, my ideal third pair next year is Ryan Johnson and then get somebody who I got, because I was going to say Dursey, but I don't think Dursey and Johnson make sense together. I think that ugh, that's tough. My ideal is Edmondson. Edmondson. Let's do that. And then your second pair next year in a perfect world for me is Power and Damon Severson together. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to throw this out there. This is not something that was part of the question, but we got to not talk about Eric Carlson. That's not happening. It shouldn't happen. No. And I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it will. Why? Has there been any more chatter about that recently? No, but it was a thing that came out and it's like, is this going to be a thing we're going to have to deal with? Like I didn't. I would be into it if uh, if San Jose retained like fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. Mike (laughs) Greer, would you please pay? (laughs) Could you please pay what would that be five point seven five million a year to have someone not play on your team? Damon Severson Taylor. What about Matt Dumba? 
I would. I Dumba and Severson are the two. Th- those are the two free agent options I'm all about. I think that would be great. Let's get I'm, it. I'm in favor of either one of them. Dumba yeah, or Severson, bring them in. Wow, is that all the questions? That is all the questions. Everybody, thank you so much. We very much appreciate everybody who contributed and took part in this second half of the season mailbag. We'll probably hold off on doing another one until at the end of the year, I would assume. So thank you guys very much for for taking part. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Taylor, do you have any recommendations for the people? Uh, wow. I Let's see. I already recommended Knock at the Cabin, right? You did. Um. Oh, man. I saw a movie this week, but I don't really want to recommend it, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay. Uh, I saw um, Infinity Pool, and it was just, it was all right. So let me see. Let's do a real recommendation, folks. I recommend that you have a good time this weekend and, uh, you know, maybe even uh, get outside and, and hang out with your, your pals. There we go. We love that. All right, I'm going to actually do a recommendation because I had found out this week that one of my coworkers, her dad plays as a professional musician and he played trombone on one of my favorite neo soul albums ever, which is Erica Badu, Mama's Gun. The song Didn't You Know is on that album, one of Erica Badu's most famous songs, an absolute vibe and bop. Highly, highly recommend Didn't You Know. Go listen to that song if you don't know it. The whole album is really good too, though. And because of that, I thought that that would be a fun one to do for my my recommendation because it's extremely cool that one of my coworkers' dads played on that album. Also played on a D'Angelo album too, and won a wow. Grammy as a multi Grammy as a as a Grammy winner for, uh, for playing trombone on one of D'Angelo's albums. So unbelievable stuff. But that is my recommendation. Who's your random favorite? Uh, ra- that random former Sabres player of the episode, Casey Fitzgerald. Casey Fitzgerald. I'm gonna go with the goose, Paul Gostad. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and follow both of the presenters of this podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres, at Straight Sabres on Twitter. And make sure you're following us on your preferred streaming platform. Follow, subscribe leave a review rating. We'd very, very much appreciate it. Last but not least, our wonderful sponsors. Make sure you're checking all three of them out. First up, DraftKings. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. Secondly, Raycon headphones and speakers. Make sure, again, same way. Head to our 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 description of the show for more information on how you can take advantage of great deals there. And Thin Man Brewery. Go sing some Nickelback this Friday, everybody. You're not going to want to miss it. We will be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.